0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz Today. So many people want to talk about education being the most important thing in America. The education. We don't even know how to define terms. We don't understand the issues. It's like with the border, which is the biggest story in America. We don't even know the basics. Or at least I should say they don't. We do because we study the thing. Tony Katz. Tony Katz Today. Good to be with you. I want to do with education what we've been doing about the border. Make sure we understand all the pieces involved. Specifically, what we mean by school choice, definitions of, of of school choice, and who's actually making these choices, and how it is the public education works in a way to try and stop you from making a choice, to tell you that your choice is a, a danger to society, which is, of course, evil. Robert Enlow is the president and CEO of EdChoice.org, associated with Milton Friedman, the economist, and his views on education. Broke down some of this conversation with him. Starting with what is EdChoice.org? How does it all come about?
1: So EdChoice is the intellectual legacy now of Milton and Rose Friedman. We will never divert from his idea and philosophy, which is basically... All families should have all dollars to go to whatever learning opportunities that exist for families, so long as they have the true opportunity to choose all alternatives and not merely a public run alternative.
0: This in today's vernacular is is this idea of money should follow students and not systems. Correct. What run is families? It, what does that what does that mean though?
1: Well, what that means is is every family should basically, in our ideal world, should be given the pot of money that we set aside for for, for tax and through taxes, to let them figure out how to best educate their child. Whether that's uh, a mix of a public school and a tutor, or a private school and and a and a therapy they need for special needs kids, we want the, the dollars to follow families, be put on some kind of a platform, whether it's online or or some other version. Uh, in some other manner where families have true power over over the education dollars that they have.
0: True control over the education dollars they have could could mean to some that they could be getting an education that others would find detrimental. But that is not the place you play because because in the overall conversation, it should be about who 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 gets to decide here? In the end, this is a control conversation about who controls. I mean, it's weird. Who controls the kid or who controls what goes into the kid? I I guess is maybe even better said.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a pluralism conversation. It's a free speech conversation. It's a control of power conversation. So what we really want is to have families be uh, able to both control the dollars and control the the mechanisms of how their kids are educated. Look, Milton Friedman made this argument that – In the best of all possible worlds, every single family would take care of the education of their own children through their own means. Impossible in today's society, right? And so you have to figure out a way to get us from here to there. And we as a society have said we're going to collect taxpayer dollars and for the public good of educating families. We've run that through a government-run school system. You know, we're one of the only Western democracies in the country, in the world, that says we're going to both fund education through taxes and run the government-run schools. No other country in the West does that. Like, it's crazy. And so what we're trying to do is separate the government financing of education from the government-running of schools and give parents that freedom to choose and get it much more closer to what the ideal is is which is every parent being free to figure it out for themselves
0: so this now i mean you you kind of elucidated it well because what you get into is the fight right and and in no way is it not thought of as the fight and it is the public school folk who say this is the only place for education. We're the only people who are trained. This is clearly the best mechanism. And we're going to utilize the rule of law, which is the hammer, right? The the the, the force of law, because government is forced in, in, in every definition. Uh, and we're going to demand this. And it is the parents saying this has failed us. I mean, you talk about... Uh, The idea of this is the way we do it. Why is this the way we do it?
1: Well, we didn't always do it that way. And I don't think we're doing it that way now. If you look at Indiana, where I live, and and actually across the country, we just did these numbers. Uh, When we started in Indiana in 2011 with Choice, We were looking at a situation where 90% of the families were attending the school that they were assigned to. Now we're actually under 80% almost. So we're actually seeing families move to a variety of different options, whether they're magnet schools, charter schools, online, at home, through private school choice, or paying for it themselves. So this is really good. You're seeing less compulsion, and that's the the goal here, is less coercion from government and more freedom for families. And, and so, look, we don't want to put our thumb on saying this system is better than that system. But we do want to say that a system that is only run and fund and paid for and run by the public, right, government, let's take government as opposed to public, right, is a bad system. Is not a system that is beneficial. One of the arguments you'll hear, and actually I was thinking about this today, um, our traditional school system is the bedrock of our democracy. That's one of the purposes of education, they say it is. Well, if that's the case... Why is voting gone down so much in the last 20 years? If that's the case, why is civil unrest higher than it's ever been? If that's the case, why is our civil society breaking down? If the traditional, which 90% supposedly according to our our opponents here say to us, right, 90% of kids go to public schools, which by the way is not true. Um, If that's the case, then why are we having these civic problems and democratic problems? What we need is much more pluralism and much more freedom of choice and much less top-down control. And, and look, we have real structural problems with the way we actually organize K-12 education that bring all sorts of issues to bear. So, look, we believe in ending zip code assignment. The idea of connecting your schooling with where you live is absolutely amoral. Right. And so the two things we have to care about is it can no longer be where you live. It has to be funded to parents and parents first.
0: Robert Enlow, the president and CEO of edchoice.org. So let's start with, uh, you know, you 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 take a look at your local school and you're like, I don't know about that local school. I don't know about that curriculum. You want to have a choice as you guys define it as edchoice.org defines it. What is school choice?
1: Uh, the ability of parents to to take the money and choose the environment they want to educate their kids in which they want to educate their kids. So, look, we just don't care where a child gets educated. We care that they get educated and that they have the resources in order to do it that are set aside by the government. It's really simple money. Milton Freeman said it best. You have to have consumers. In this case, parents armed with true financial power, free to choose any environment that they want. Free of regulation, and then have good information so that those consumers can make good choices. That will create a good marketplace.
0: So this now leads to maybe maybe the heaviest question, where no one talks about education uh, in, in in this way, because the way you just described it in that Milton Friedman style, of course, I mean, people don't know Milton Friedman, uh, the famed economist, um, who did. Who was probably better than anybody uh, in in history at being plain spoken about uh, the, the the basics of of, of economics? Um, you just kind of described in this conversation about schools and, and choices, and 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 just like you would if you go to the store and you have a choice of seven different kinds of, of, of cereal. So, one of the questions that America has never confronted. And it is; it can be seen as a political question. It can be seen as a, a parental rights question. Is education in and of itself a public good or is it a consumable product?
1: is a great question. Um, so Milton's in his 19 uh, – in his book Free to Choose and his uh, role of government education said – There is, used to make the argument, there is a role for government there. You can make the argument that there's a role for government in funding, right? Because they used to call it neighborhood effects, this concept of neighborhood effects. So the benefits that accrue to you accrue to me, right? So there's an argument that education, if you're an educated person, you're less likely to commit crime, you're, you're more likely to have a job, you're more likely to pay taxes. All of these things are valuable to the society as a whole. So on one hand, education absolutely has public good components, The question that you have to ask yourself is, is does that public good justify government running the schools and government owning and operating the means, to use use the left side of the language, the means of production, right? For us, the concept is, is we need a much more robust marketplace of opportunities where people can consume the goods they think is best for their children. Because what I think we've learned over the last few years, particularly through the pandemic, is that... The purpose of education, and everyone's fa- every family needs something different. Like I, my child was a special needs child. He he wasn't going to fit in the traditional public school sector, right? My other child was a high achieving child. It wasn't going to fit in a traditional high school. Um, there are kids in suburbia who are bullied that don't need that. There are kids in low income neighborhoods that are bullied that need out. They're, there's a kid that wants to not go to school full time because they want to do uh, an, a curriculum that will get them a trade. There's all sorts of different purposes of education. And the goal here is to create a sense of self-fulfillment and, and so that the child can be the best they can be so that we can have a better society as a whole. And I think when you look at the public good of organizing education around that concept, the idea that families being empowered and children being empowered to be them, their truest self, you're going to come up with something different than we have now. Right. And so on one hand, there's a public good argument. But on the other hand, there's not a public there's not a public provision argument.
0: I, I think it's a fascinating question uh, as well when it was first presented sure. to me. And, and I, I, I make the argument on, on the consumable good side because it, it, if or consumable product side, because if you tell me that it's a public good, but I don't think it's doing any good. How is it a public good? Uh, the, the very concept of public good has to now be delivered by force in Correct. in some way to you. If, if I don't think it's good, but the state tells me it's good, now I'm not free to say it's not good. I'm not free to now make, you know, uh, I'm not free to choose. Uh, But just because it's a public good
1: doesn't mean that the state has to do it. For example, I believe a company that is a robust company that provides a high quality product that employs tons of people in order to achieve that product and get that product out. That is useful to people who purchase it. That is a huge public good, right? This concept that somehow a, a company that provides a high quality product to families that want it. For example, let's say education like Saul Khan, that if that's not a public good is sheer lunacy, right? So, this concept of government I mean, is the no, only one. No, un-
0: no. Hold on, I'm going to go with, right with the interruption. I'm not arguing that Khan Academy, uh, if you've never checked out, it's quite incredible, isn't a public good, yeah, yeah. meaning that people may enjoy it. I'm saying that what we deal with when parents take a look at where their choices are and the very concept of choice, they are confronted by people saying, no, you have to go to the public school. This is what's good. This is what's right. And as a matter of fact, if you go to a private school, you're hurting these children. You're not good. Yeah. So I, I, we're
1: agreeing. We're totally agreeing, Tony. I'm just saying, I, I totally agree. With you. The concept of public good cannot be limited to a government run function and it cannot be forced and compulsed upon people by the government. And and I think that's what we've had in our traditional school system. When you've connected where you live with what you do, I find it hugely ironic when someone will say, oh, public school, private, if you go to a private school choice program, you're hurting, you're hurting the public good. You're like, wait a minute, these kids graduated higher rates. They're better citizens. They They vote more. They have taxpaying jobs. This seems to be a good thing, particularly for the choice programs. We know that Indiana parents, for example, that we did these studies back when it was a low income only program. The families in the program communicate with the teachers more than they used to. They volunteer in the school more than they used to. They involve themselves in community events more than they used to as a result of the choice. So to me, that's a huge public good. And the theory is Anyone who's free to choose creates a better public good, right, than someone who is
0: compulsed. Can you give me really quick um, the, the the numbers? Uh, since you've been at this over at edchoice.org, um where where are the numbers are on those choosing something else other than public education?
1: Well, nationally or or statewise, because I can give you by state, we just released this, right?
0: Well, the, the, the by-state you can find it at edchoice.org. Give me the national number. just So the it.
1: national numbers are really interesting. We just did this right now. So, uh, and let me read them to you. So uh, in uh, America, um, 61% of Americans now choose their assigned traditional public school, right? So they just assign, they just go. 12% are choosing a public school, like they're going across a district or or something like that. So that's 70, 73% now in some kind of public uh, school system. Uh, Seven percent are in charter schools, five percent are in magnet schools, one percent are virtual schooling, five percent are now homeschooling, seven percent are paying for private school out of pocket, and two percent are getting educational choice programs through ESAs and vouchers and tax credit scholarships. So that is a significant reduction of where people have been going over the last few years, right? You're seeing traditional school like being assigned where you live uh, significantly going down for people to say, I want to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to another public school. I'm going to go to private school. I'm going to go to charter school.
0: I'm going to, go to homeschool. But it's not the, that 73% doesn't mean that 27% aren't going to public schools,
1: right? Oh, it, it does. Yeah, it does. So it absolutely
0: means. Of students in today's America are not going to a public school. That's well, if you
1: include Magnet schools, so it's more like 20, it's more like 78,
0: 77%. So let's call it 78%, which means 22% or not. Correct. Is there a number of kids not attending public schools by which the public schools simply collapse in on themselves? They can't afford to function. And and is that is that a is that a goal?
1: I think we're going to find that out in the coming years. So our, in our state, Indianapolis, Indiana, Indiana uh, in Indianapolis Public Schooling, right? as far as the data we have seen in IPS, only 30%, 33% of the kids are going to their actual assigned school, right? The rest are going to innovation charters, other charters, or using vouchers or using homeschooling. Um, so we'll find out how the state's largest school district will deal with that um, once the pandemic funds run out. But you know right? what
0: I'm saying? Uh, if 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 they're choosing other places, there comes a moment where this beast and all this money that they spend and they want to allocate no longer supports itself. Like like anything, if I have a restaurant that seats 500 people, but I only get 82 people in the restaurant every night, uh, uh, eventually I can't afford to keep the doors open.
1: Yep. So um, what's happening? What's happening right now in America? Like we know from school choice studies. That's, and that, by the way, our opponents even accept this, right? If you're in a voucher state, with the, the studies show that public schools get better, right? So when the presence of a voucher program makes public schools improve faster on their outcomes, right? So that's one thing. I think what we're going to find out in the next few years is what impact it will have on governance and and modernization of funding, and those two things I think will will uh, signif- sign- signal what the future of traditional schooling is going to look like. Particularly in states like Indiana, yeah. Think about it. Air, Florida now has three hundred thousand kids on a choice scholarship. Yeah. 400,000 applied. So I mean, it's huge what's started to happen. These numbers: Arizona is now around, uh, I think, seven percent. Uh, you know, or and, and Florida is now ten percent of the kids are using these scholarship programs. Right. So it's it is getting to a significant market tipping point. Uh, and I think we're going to find out pretty quickly how the system responds.
0: I'm certainly not giving up conversations about the border, guys. I'm not giving up conversations about what's going on with Iran. I, I, I won't stop having the important conversations. But if we're going to talk about education, we should at least have a baseline of what it is we're talking about, where the opportunities are, where the issues are, ways to rethink. I think we should bring those conversations to the fore, I I don't, I don't even know how people are talking about these things without making sure they understand the basics. Robert Enlow, edchoice.org. I appreciate you. More to get to find everything at tonycats.com. It's where you find it all, tonycats.com. This is Tony Katz today. What do I think of the $83 million defamation deal? Trump has to pay E Jean Carroll. I, it, admittedly, I didn't pay much attention to the case. I think the whole thing is nutty. 83 million dollars is the defamation. And then she goes on all the talk shows about how she wants to use the money to really hurt Trump. She really is an an, an ugly person. She's the one who said that rape is sexy, right? That was her. That was E Jean Carroll. When I tell you, Of all the things I pay attention to, I just, I did not give this much coverage at all. Much time in my head. $83 million seems ridiculous. Uh, But I I admit to you uh, clearly that it's, it's not where I lived and breathed. But it's also so obvious to so many with just the cursory view of this. If Trump's last name is uh, you know is isn't Trump, if his name is Joe Smith, uh, this is forty two dollars. I'm not even arguing that he didn't say some things that maybe he shouldn't have said. I don't know where it actually affected her. I don't know actually where it changed her income. Nothing like that. Like I don't know where that came from. That's why the eighty three million is so ridiculous. This is about uh, Trump revenge. No matter what you think of him, you can't favor a, a, a legal system like this. This is Tony Katz Today. Just as a matter of, well, maybe understanding each other. You know, this is what friends do. They sometimes, uh, you know, go over things. Hey, are are we on the same page about this? Do do you understand what I'm saying about about that? Uh, uh, Allow me. Uh, If Taylor Swift can ruin a football game for you, there's something wrong with you. Just, just saying. That's those. Those are the facts. If Taylor Swift dating Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City Chiefs, can ruin football for you, well, that's just that's just weird. Now, thinking that that people make too much of this celebrity couple, my God, it's America in 2024. Celebrity couples. I mean, that's all people talk about. Do I really care who Kanye is dating now? Of course not. And neither do you. Yet somehow people care whether or not Pete Davidson is dating whomever. And oh, by the way, how does he get all of those hot women? That's nutty. Tony Katz. Now that's something to be angry about. Tony Katz today. Eight, three, sorry, I made myself laugh. I apologize. <laughs> 833 three, got Tony. 833. Three. Four six eight eight six six nine. Pete Davidson doesn't care that I said that. He would be like, eh, that's your problem, cats. I, I'm getting mine. Good night. <laughs> he wouldn't care. That's my Pete Davidson impression. It's not very good. It's not as good as my Norm McDonald. My norm's go okay My norm is 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 worthwhile. I, I'm willing to put that on stage. One day I gotta do the stage stuff. Like I the one man show stuff I can do. Stand up comedy is 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 different. Oh, and April 18th, uh, for those of you in the Indianapolis area or you want to head out to Indianapolis, April 18th, uh, we will be having a live Eat, Drink, Smoke radio show. We'll be smoking cigars with you. We'll be drinking some very rare bourbon with you. A ton of of laughs. Experts, it's going to be a fantastic, fantastic show. We're doing it all live. If you don't know Eat, Drink, Smoke, my cigar and bourbon show, uh, which is heard across the country, EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. Uh, I'll I'll announce when tickets are on sale in the next should be they should be going on sale in the next couple weeks, right there. It's a limited audience. It's gonna be gonna be fantastic, but people are really upset now. Now, uh, to be bothered that it's the Chiefs again in the Super Bowl. We don't like this dynasty stuff. We didn't like it with with the Patriots. We don't like it with the Chiefs. That the Chiefs were able to beat the Bills and the Ravens. Sorry, they're incredibly good. This is nutty that they were able to do this, but no one wanted to see the chiefs and really, uh, at, at, in the main, nobody wanted to see the 49ers because it was the lions and it was the Cinderella story. And it was the opportunity. And I'm not mad at coach Dan Campbell going for it on fourth down. This is the team he built. This is the attitude with which he built them. Now, maybe he'll go back and say, you know what? Put three points on the board. Put him in a position to win so when the moment is right. But he's the kind of coach who believes every moment, the moment's right. Go get the yard. Get the first down. Catch the damn ball. What's wrong with everybody? You knew how to do it in the first half. You totally collapsed in the second. Just just madness there. But the, but the 49ers have a great story in Brock Purdy. This guy was Mr. Irrelevant. And if you don't know what, the, what that is, the last person uh, chosen in the draft is known as Mr. Irrelevant. That, that's that's the name. That's that's the uh, title, if you will. The last person in the draft is Mr. Irrelevant, which is weird because they make so much uh, noise about that dude. It's the person before the last person in the draft. That's really Mr. Irrelevant. And Brock Purdy has done nothing but play incredible, incredible football on this really nothing contract. And last year he was in the NFC Championship, but then he, he had the arm issue. And all he does is come back and win the NFC Championship after, like, getting just just rocked in, in, that, in that first half. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible story. And the dude just went home to his apartment where he has a roommate. That's how I know the story. He has a roommate because he can't afford it because it's freaking San Francisco and he doesn't make the Christian McCaffrey money. Oh yeah I mean there there's a good story there there's a fun story there and and so you're gonna wanna you're gonna want to watch it for sure except it's kind of boring in comparison but to say I'm sick and tired of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey so I'm not watching man you would let somebody so dominate your life like that why what do you win what's the what do you get out of it? That's that's the part that, that blows my mind. Here I, I, I have said very little, I think, in my life about Swift. It's just that the the music ain't for me and I just don't think it's uh it's it's I don't think it's a ton of talent. I don't. What she has built and how she has built it, the connection with the audience, that's that's legitimate. But the the, the actual voice, the actual songwriting, the eh, well, it doesn't matter if I think it or not. She can think it about this radio show. She can go to hell if she thinks it about this radio show, but she could. Um, I, I, their relationship doesn't affect me. What I, what I think is true uh, about her in in watching all these things about the boyfriends. I, I don't question whether or not this this relationship is real you have people who are saying that this is all fake this is all for publicity uh this is the nfl that wanted this to happen to get more people in into football and and you you've got people like well you see she's a biden supporter so they wanted to highlight her and really build her out uh so that she could get more people to vote for biden good sometimes a cigar is just a cigar freud was right sometimes the thing is not the thing and sometimes it is. What about the idea that these two actually like each other? I mean, it's of course possible. What I think is what I think uh is 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 and we've seen the type before. Uh she's either the type that loves to be in love or or it it is about the the excitement of the thing as opposed to the engagement of the thing and this is not just true of her this is true of people who don't understand exactly how long the rest of your life really is my father uh 86, 86 um it, it was not an easy upbringing I, w- I will leave it i will leave it at that uh his expression was um you, you have to marry a good looking woman because you have to stare at her every morning over breakfast. My my father was a poet. Is what he was in his younger days. Uh, you gotta marry a good looking girl because you gotta look at her every day over breakfast. Um, th- th- that that is true, right? There there is a point to that. You want you're gonna be looking at this person. You, you're gonna wanna enjoy what it is that you see. But enjoying what it is that you see is enjoying the person who you have worked through the hard times with to get to the good times, to be able to find the good time within the bad time, to be able to find the sunlight in in, in the darkness. That is not an easy person to find. And then it's not easy to do when you are somebody who is focused on the wow and not the work relationships are work. Trying to explain this to my children is a very, very uh, awkward thing because my wife and I are, I, I would describe us as uh, an affectionate folk. Is is the best I could do it in, in describing it. And, and sometimes we feel bad for them because they're going to look at, at the way we engage our, our marriage and they're going to be like, nobody nobody else does it this way and they're gonna think that we're wrong when no 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 we're 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 right but you the 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 reality of a relationship is the work that it takes to make it work bad moods bad days bad moments bad family bad job it you have to work through that and be able to find good outside of that and sometimes within that and, and that is the part that, that so many people, this isn't a Taylor Swift conversation. This isn't, I don't know anything about her or Travis Kelsey. This is about people where they focus on the thing that is, that is not the thing. It's like when I see people who are brides and oh, oh it's all about the, the wedding. Oh, the wedding, this, oh, the wedding. Oh The wedding is the most meaningless part. And people who are focused on the wedding above all are people you should not marry. Those are people that, guys, guys, if she's more interested in the wedding than she is in the will, you need to find somebody else. Now, she could be interested in the will just to find out what she's getting out of it, uh, right? And by the way, it go vice versa. Ladies, guys could be uh, like this as well. The marriage is what matters. The wedding is a day... we had a lovely wedding, My wife and I. we paid for it ourselves. Our parents couldn't afford uh, to pay for it. Uh, i I don't regret getting married for a second. Not a single second have I ever regretted getting married. I have regretted having the wedding nine million times. and I have very few regrets, kitten. Oh, I am not a man of regrets. I am not a man of quiet desperation. That is a bunch of crap. I'm not interested in that. I want to go do something. I figure it out. Then I go do the thing. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But no, regrets are not how I live. The wedding was a terrible idea. We paid for it ourselves. We could have paid to spend three weeks in Italy. And I would have the memories of three weeks in Italy with my wife staring at works of art that she's always wanted to see. I mean, we were already going to go into debt for the thing. I went to debt for people, half of whom I don't speak to anymore. And I'm not saying they're bad people. Although some of them turned out to be not great people. They're not bad people. It's just life happens and people drift and that's the way it goes. Not everybody, but some in this case, half and we didn't have one of those big weddings like we had this was so we got married on Jer in Jersey standards well Jersey's ridiculous New Jersey weddings are 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 just it it, it these people are ridiculous But I have heard about weddings in in Indiana 200 250 people 250 people What the hell's wrong with you We did 100 people We had 100 people at our wedding, and it was probably 85 too many, and that's the way it went. But no, no, the wedding wedding itself was a mistake. Should have done the vacation. Those memories would have been great and wonderful. And the people we stayed friends with are the people we would have stayed friends with, so it would have been fine. But that's just the the, the point. We learned early, amongst a, a series of other lessons, that a pomp and a circumstance is is not where it's at. Is is the purpose of a marriage giving good anniversary gifts or is the purpose of of a marriage helping create a better life? What's your purpose? What's your goal? What's the plan? I know of people who are very, very serious. of anniversary, it better be a good gift. They're like the same kind of people who for Valentine's Day, it has to be like a week of celebration. Oh, I look! I, if you're a guy who wants to be into that around that, I, I'm not gonna stop you. I don't know. Everybody's got a fetish. Feel free. But man, if if you need to celebrate the the day as opposed to the daily celebration of the person, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I I really, I really don't. I think that's that's so much a part of what we has as we see. The, the failure rate of marriages is because they never once asked themselves, are you ready for the work? It's the work to get to the good, which then turns out to be pretty great because you both worked for it. People forget that that part. They're not. Sh- the, no one shares with them that part, shows them that part, tells them that part, explains to them that part, and then they don't get to experience it. Because when you experience it, you're like, we did this thing. We overcame this thing. We reached this goal. We got this. St- Holy cow. What can't we do? Right on, kid. And then it's off to the races. And then you get into the really hard stuff, whether it's kids or age or aging parents or whatever the case may be. So I, I think that it, it, it from, from the multiplicity of, of, of songs and stories, uh, I it seems to me that, that Taylor's not somebody who's prepared for that. But then again, people get older and who knows. But I don't care enough about the relationship not to watch the game. I just think the game sucks with Kansas City in it. I'm tired of watching. Somebody sack Patrick Mahomes. What the hell does it take? Nuts. Absolutely Nuts. Keep it here, I'm Tony Katz, this is Tony Katz Today. We're not at war with Iran, Iran is at war with us. So the question is, what's our plan? What do we want to do about it, and why are there so many people so desperate to say we shouldn't do anything? The argument is so absolutely nonsensical that somehow there should be no response to three murdered American service members. You've got hundreds of service members that have been attacked. You've got I mean, you've got these attacks all over the place and yet we're not supposed to respond? I should really say hundreds of attacks as opposed to hundreds of service members, but I've got I've got a response from the from the White House that's that's beyond tepid. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at com. I have no, I have absolutely no faith that this administration understands that they have to respond. And the people saying, oh, sure, you want to lead us to war. It's here. I don't even understand the argument. What does it mean? You just want to lead us to war. We got attacked by Iran. It was a drone strike on the border of Jordan and Syria. Well, we shouldn't be there to begin with. Well, we're there. And the U.S. service members got killed. Now what's your plan? Shrug your shoulders and say, oh, our fault. Too bad we were in the area. You can argue that as a matter of foreign policy, but now you have to ask yourself what happens when you're not in the area. If you're not willing to answer that question, well, then you're unserious. If you're okay with what happens if you're not in the area, that's fine. Then you're able to argue your position. Screaming we shouldn't be there is not a position. It is the pseudo-intellectual position. It's valueless. We're there for a multiplicity of reasons. But when you are attacked and you don't respond, what in the world are you doing? Of course, the Iranians are saying we had nothing to do with this drone attack. I don't need a Fox News alert. Sure, sure, you had nothing to do with this. Whatever you say, kitten. Did you have anything to do with the Hamas attack on Israel? Uh, That murdered 1,200? That burned babies alive? That raped women? Did you have anything to do with the Houthi rebels attacking ships at sea? quite literally changing shipping lanes, putting the navigable seas at risk. We're at war with Iran because Iran is at war with us. And this administration is not ready. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.